Welcome to Dispatches from Outcasts. Conversations. Conversations. Conversations from a creative community. In this episode, Albert, Aranea, Alicia, and Christina talk about the origins of the name Dispatches from Mount Kaz and the power of language to manifest realities. Okay. Hey, everyone. How's everything sounding? Good. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'm Christina. I'm Aranea. I'm Albert. And I'm Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Dispatches from Mount Kaz. I already said that. A conversation of creative community. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll draw a question. All right. The question is, what's a time you found language for something you previously didn't have before? Oh, that's a great question. I keep thinking about uh, (laughs) when, so I'm working with my dad right now and like, and there's all these tools, which he doesn't even know the names of, like he's seen them, but like, and he has had them at points, but like, he doesn't know the English name for anything. And like, Mm -hmm. maybe even the Chinese name he uses for stuff is just like, uh, is just, you know, something that he makes up or, you know, like, cause it's just like, when you have a tool, you know how to use it. You don't need to like be able to, to, to name it. Mm and so, like, you know, we were working on concrete for a while, and uh, and he was telling me to look, to go to the uh, the mason supply store and ask them for that object that's, like, this long, and, like, kind of, you, you use it to, like, bend rebar back to 90 degrees, and I went to the store, and I just had to, like, kind of stumble through, like, descriptions of this, this thing, and I'm like, and, like, and I don't even know what I'm doing most of the time, because I'm still learning all this stuff, like, so, so, all this, uh, this construction stuff, I don't actually know even, like, the stages of things, right, so I'm like, alright, so, uh, we're working on the foundation, and we're at this point, and we're like building the stem wall, which was wrong. Like that's we're not actually building the stem wall at that point. We're building the retaining wall. It's like a different thing. <laughs> and, and so they just think I'm like I was like just some some total naive kid, which I guess is true. I am a naive kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, you know, we find out, or uh, I found out, it's called a it's called a hickey bar. Uh, <laughs> it's the device what? that you use to bend like rebar back to a ninety degree point, so that you can attach more rebar to it when you pour your retaining wall. Uh, and they hadn't. They didn't have it. So. Now you need to look up the etymology of hickey bar. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, a lot of names for a lot of this stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. like half the time, everything is uh, like they're they're just colloquial because no one cares what like the what the brand name is, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, and maybe it's a brand name. Maybe it's someone named Hickey made this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's maybe interesting it that, that like, in some ways, you know, this is only useful for buying a tool. Or like you know, go in and purchase this thing because once we have it on the site, like it matter, it doesn't matter what the thing is called anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we just use it, and we just kind of and and like what matters is like figuring out how to use it. You know, like figuring out when and where it's like most useful. Um, so names don't matter. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a good metaphor there. Yeah. Labels yeah. don't matter. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> or what matters most is how you use that name to communicate among people, not mm. what an official name is. Until you get to the point that you need to, you know, sell this thing across you know, many different communities of use. Mm-hmm. 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 The thing I thought of, um, because it came up again this morning, um, listening to a video by Elizabeth Gilbert and her talking about the difference between a hobby, job, career, and vocation. And separating those things out 
Whereas in our culture, or I think maybe especially in our current age, we're sort of told to like follow your dreams and make money off of your dreams and like you can do your thing. So like we sort of mush them all together. Like if you have a hobby and you're good at it, people are like, you should turn that into a job. And if you have a job, you should automatically have a career and all of that should be your passion. <laughs> so we like collapse everything. So it was really refreshing to hear her say, those four can be completely different things. Mm -hmm. And um, you're free to have a job that has nothing to do with your vocation or your passion. And you are free to like not even have a career if you don't want one. And you're free to have a hobby that like that doesn't matter to the world or that you don't have to turn into anything that can just remain a hobby. Um, so I thought that was really nice to have that framework and distinction and that and her language helped me get. I think we have yeah. a lot of communication problems that like come or like a lot of conceptual mm -hmm. problems that come from like the collapsing yeah. of uh, of lots of different things into like you know words like love words like freedom mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like words like like calling or whatever yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I found it incredibly freeing to realize that if you can have a job yeah. that you don't like mm -hmm. that you don't care about that just makes you money and that's okay like you're not a failure if you don't like your job it's just a job, but we don't teach people that. No, it's an interesting mm. journey arc because I think in the past that was a thing. Right. Yeah, and then for sure. At some point, we were like, "You have to do what you love." I don't know when mm -hmm. that shift happened. Yeah, it's <laughs> lost like thirty years, I think. Yeah, so yeah. it's nice to like go back. You're like, yeah, mm, like maybe there's a happy medium somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it comes from like our parents' generation, right? And you do a job, and then you're just in that job for a long time. If that like office work white collar mm -hmm. office work mm -hmm. and then that defines your identity but then they never thought about their identity outside of that job right. so then you know how do you bring in the passion mm -hmm. part of it um yeah did it come with an economic shift like for the longest time there were only like a certain a certain type of job that you could make money at and those are the jobs you had to do you know and society needed those jobs mm -hmm. to be done and now we have a much more like global economy and there are areas where, like, you don't have to necessarily work in a factory to make the clothes that you wear. If you're in the West. If you, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> right, yeah. it, it's an economic shift for, mm -hmm. for us, right? For, yeah. like, uh, for Americans, like, uh, we have shifted yeah. away from, like, you know, like, making things at all. Mm -hmm. You know, generally, like, manufacturing stuff in the, in the country now. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that, the, the jobs that remain... To, uh, like tend to I guess tend to like we tend to frame them as like jobs that are you know more uh based in what we love to do or passions mm -hmm. or hobbies or whatever yeah it also comes with like a uh what do you call it's like a corporate ideology about like loving your workplace mm -hmm. loving your work culture uh, wanting to devote yourself, like you know, they they're trying to they they push this idea that you should devote yourself to uh, to mm -hmm. your corporate uh, overlord. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the more dangerous part is yeah. the collapsing mm -hmm. of like identity into job. When like, you we're don't not control whole, your job, well, we're right? not a whole. You're not a whole person that's like many many things. I think when you're like when you're running your own business or you're like you know um, you know a skilled tradesperson. Um, it makes a lot of sense to collapse your identity into, or for that to be part of your identity, for that to be a strong part, part of your identity. identity, right? But yeah. 
when you're doing it as uh, as part of a business or part of someone else's business, basically, mm-hmm. when you're when you're under someone else's uh, thumb on this kind of stuff, then it's more dangerous, I think, to let that become who you are. Mm-hmm. You have strong opinions about bosses. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have, uh, I have yeah. heard before. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do think the um, the problem of for some reason we're teaching people that they have to love their job or that like their job has to be that there's a, an equation that a person has to figure out that they have to figure out what they're good at, what they, what they love. And then they have to make a career about that. I do mm-hmm. also feel like that is more heavily a Western problem mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And I think because I feel like the... there's other like European countries that they, they know that a job is just a job and they have lots of uh, vacation time and lots of like, like better health benefits and they spend less time at work. Mm-hmm. And I think they know that like, that work itself doesn't matter as much. There's I don't an, feel like America knows that. There's an American um, mythology about liberation and, and like personal control mm-hmm. where, you know, all of the American heroes that kind of forge their own path, that pioneer, that step out and like, you know, make their own lives, um, you know, build their own uh, their own fortunes or whatever. Those are all people who who kind of create their own business and like create their own uh, their own path. Where and then that's like you know even connected to the metaphor of like the founding of America of like the revolution of like separating yourself from the people that that you were under the control of before. Whereas perhaps like you know if we're talking about Europeans, they have a long and a constant tradition perhaps of uh, mm-hmm. of being you know under fealty of someone else is that how you use that word yeah anyway being subservient uh, in a way to some kind of monarchy some kind of does all of this stem think... from the fact that america is just really young as a country i, I think a lot of it probably <laughs> has, yeah. yeah i think maybe more interesting than like what bigger forces are making this happen sort of like where we are personally in this question christina bringing it back to the micro level yeah um, sort of connected to the micro level. I honestly have kind of forgotten the question, but I remember it being about things that we name. Yeah. Right. Finding language for Finding something language. that we previously didn't have. Yeah. Right. Um, so a practice that's, um, I've been practicing recently in the last like year is, um, taking time to identify how I feel, hmm. right? Like literally in a moment asking myself, how do I feel right now? And I'll come up with some word that's not a feeling word. And I'll be like, no, but how do you actually feel? Is that a feeling word? I don't know that it is. And like challenging myself to dig deep into it. Mm -hmm. And it's been really interesting how much being able to settle on a word that just like rings true, you know, internally actually makes me feel so much better because I actually have a way to share that with someone Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, I feel good. I feel bad. Mm -hmm. I feel, uh," Mm -hmm. (laughs) which used to be my default. Um, yeah, so I feel like, um, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) I think there have been like a lot of times recently where I, I was feeling like, and I've talked about this before, where it feels like school is demanding that I put on a certain persona or it's mostly for people who want to really become journalists, right? A lot of them are print people and now they want to become more video people and that's not me. Mm -hmm. And yet it's like I lost my sense of how to like bring what I want, how I want to shape this program to what I want to do. Um, and 
so in several calls that I've had with my friend, um, I would say, oh, you know, I feel like lost or I feel like I'm trying to wander around or like I'm not settled, but that didn't feel quite right. And then it took like 30 minutes, honestly, of going on dictionary.com and thesaurus.com <laughs> and looking up words to realize that in that instance, I wanted fidelity, hmm. like mm -hmm. fidelity to myself and what mm -hmm. I value. And like that one just felt really mm -hmm. true and it still feels really true. So it's been interesting to kind of start in one place that's not wrong. It's just not like that core word mm. and kind of circle around until they're until I hit on a word that like rings, like literally it feels like it rings true. Yeah. So that's been a pretty cool practice so far. And I'm like, why don't we teach kids this <laughs> or take them through this? They're trying. They're trying Maybe to put emotion skills mm. in. It's yeah. hard. It's like. Anyway, that's a whole other rabbit hole conversation. Ah, we can talk about. Maybe that'll be another topic one yeah. day. <laughs> do, do, you think of, do you think fidelity is an emotion word? It feels like one to me. I mean, like, it doesn't like, have to you, you were in a state of wanting, but you didn't know what yeah. you wanted fidelity. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you know. exactly. Or maybe that's a better way to put it. I could be crossing those lines because we start with how do you feel yeah. and then how do you want to feel. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. if, if you are able to identify your emotions very clearly, then it makes it easier to figure out what you are missing, what is like uh, is mm -hmm. intention or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is probably a topic for another time, but it's like this is the kind of uh, work that my friend Joe is doing with uh, with like exploring values and like kind of creating systems for people to be able to uh, introspect better and like mm. identify their uh, their values when they feel uh, uh, off or uh, or in order to better understand themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think that like uh, there's something connect like that idea of uh, of finding the emotion is also generally connected to the idea of like finding language because it helps us anchor to a concept that tends to be floating in our heads. Like we might have a, a general feeling, but until we have some way that we can kind of come back to it, focus it, think focus on it, and think about it, and like let that um, affect us, you know, in terms of like even vocation. <laughs> a tool um you know having language helps us uh, helps us like come back to it and think about it and uh and uh, reflect on it better mm -hmm. and embody it yeah. right like so many feelings are they start just in like a literal feeling of however your body's feeling mm -hmm. but then making the leap between that which is like lizard brain i've heard some people talk about right and then connecting that to your language center i don't know that's a pretty big leap to make sometimes mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I have a specific answer to this question that is, might be a little bit of a long story. Um, in college, I took a class called Human Sexual Behaviors. And uh, for a while, we just learned and discussed the sexes, the different sexes, which sounds in 2018 like a dangerous thing to do because it sounds like you're like incorporating the binary and, you know... Um, and uh, I struggled for a long time because I had this concept that I believed that uh, biologically men and women were different, mm -hmm. um, that that was not uh, an easily defined thing, that it wasn't just like women are good at cooking and that's why they need to stay in the kitchen because that was bullshit, um, but that you can't get over mistreatment of 
the sexes if you don't recognize the differences mm-hmm. that exist. And that led to um, my perspective now, which is that we should treat everybody equitably. Is that the right word? Equitably, not equally necessarily. The example that I found online was um, there's like three people standing at a fence watching a soccer game. And um, the fence is like boards and you can't see through the fence. And like a couple people are short and they can't see through the fence at all. And one person is tall. The person who's tall doesn't think that there's anything, doesn't see any problem, right? Because they all have enough space or they all have like space to stand. They all have equal space. Well, yeah. And like, and he, like he can see the game, so he doesn't see that there's any issue. Um, And like treating people equally is not doing anything. Treating people equitably is giving the shorter people an appropriate height box to stand on so that they can see the game at the same level. And then, like, removing the barriers completely is, like, making the fence see-through, which is, I think, the ideal ideal thing. But um, I learned, like, I had always struggled with that because the way I didn't have language to describe Mm -hmm. how I felt about it because it just sounds really old-fashioned and, like, that I felt Mm -hmm. that, like, women were weaker and men were stronger and that's just the way it was and that's not how Mm -hmm. I felt at all. But I didn't know how to describe it. And so I found through this this class, the language that I needed to, Mm -hmm. I don't know, better describe that situation. Yeah. I'm really worried about that because I like, I don't (laughs) know how I... No, that's really important. I think that's a a lot of the, I feel like the journey of the last few years. Yeah. (laughs) More like Mm -hmm. groups Mm -hmm. of people is like finding the language. Um, I have some friends and I, we're all, we happen to be um, Asian American and we've been talking Mm -hmm. about how we hear... um, like younger people, like people like just getting out of college now mm-hmm. who are also Asian American, like have all this language that it took us a decade <laughs> to get to, right? To understand, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all the like microaggressions and like mm-hmm. inequities and like um, systemic discrimination and, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the complications of like how Asian Americans operate on the level and are, have been used against African-Americans and like all this stuff like and they already have this language and they just it's just like worlds apart yeah they, they start with that knowledge. they start with that knowledge yeah. and it makes such a big difference to your self-concept and mm-hmm. to how you approach systems and how you um, approach things that happen how you like how you conceptualize things that happen in your mind I think like the decades we spent um, feeling the things like Alicia was talking about, like feeling like feeling the embodied impact of these things, mm-hmm. but not having that language for it. And so we would feel it and then turn it inwards or like it would, you know, be sort of amorphous and lost and like mm-hmm. not understanding it. But like having the language for it allows us to like process those feelings in a different way, mm-hmm. um, which is huge. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So whether that's gender or race or disability or any of the like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. isms like it's really important to have that language yeah on a systemic level yeah when i've like been playing with um uh ritual design and like creating rituals as performance pieces i think a lot about the about ritual being a way to manifest things that are like amorphous and emotional and, and psychological and mental into some kind of tangible like object almost something that you can touch something that you like like no 
is exists because you can feel it in some way, whether that's a social space that uh, that is created to to recognize it, or just like imbuing an object with that idea and then being able to touch it and like you know break it or uh, or or honor it or whatever. And I think it's similar. Like words are similar. You know, mm-hmm. uh, language is similar. To be able to take these ideas and feelings and kind of all these things that are like that exist in our social world in these really uh, vague ways, and then just give it some kind of uh, some kind of shape some way you can you know just feel your tongues moving over it because we can we can say it um that allows us to to process it in a way that we can't when it's uh when it floats in our brains mm-hmm. so is your answer to this question the story about your dad with twins? that was my answer oh, yeah, yeah and i'm okay with that being my answer no, i mean i have fine. a lot of things that i could say in my language i also but... want to i think there's a way to transition from that to to our discussion discussion yeah so i mean yeah so let's just go go ahead and move into it so um we wanted to talk about the fact that we have decided that the podcast is named dispatches from mount kaz which um was a lot of back and forth and a lot of like discussion about what we how we even felt about the podcast at all so um but i feel like coming to a name feels good Mm. yeah you know Mm -hmm. we feel like more grounded about what this project is so I think we should start with Christina because you were the one who like initially threw the idea out into the pool of ideas, <laughs> the really really long slap, <laughs> which is mostly just argument. <laughs> well, yeah, about I mean, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it was just a lot of like, well, what about this name? What about this name? Why, why, you know, it was it was super long, but you threw this out and like everyone seemed to be fine with it, which is how it started. And then it, I think I really like it. Oh yeah. I, like at first it was like, well, this is the one we can all agree on, but now it's like I'm I'm really glad we didn't go with anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So, but I wanted to start with like how you I don't know where the idea popped out from. Well, okay. So first of all, though, I think the that feeling of feeling good about the name is also I mean that's the power of a name, right? Like the mm-hmm. power of naming something makes it real. Right. Um, the first time I actually said Dispatches of Mount Kez, you were like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> really? When <laughs> was that? It was the board game night, and we were talking you... about speculative fiction and Mount Kez, and like, oh, yeah, we had yeah. talked about the idea of doing recording and Dispatches from Mount Kez as if we were like on a ranger station on top of Mount Kez telling these stories, and you were like, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> you didn't me, like the podcast. It wasn't the name at all. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was the, the fiction yeah, yeah, element yeah. of the podcast. Anyway, so that's why I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's funny. It's very interesting. I think it's funny. Yeah. That's because yeah. now it's like because it's of... all about context. It's all about context. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, but that was our conversation. So I don't know how to weave this in. But mm-hmm. th- uh, that conversation was around how Mount Kaz is a, like is a place that exists in our radical imagination, right? Um, well, okay, to talk about the name Dispatches from Mount Kaz, first we have to talk about the name Mount Kaz. Mm. <laughs> and some of the listeners have heard of this place and some of them don't, haven't. Um, so Mount Kaz is a renegade community art space that is in Corvallis, Oregon. It is also Albert and my home. Um, so it's just a house. <laughs> um, and the name came from the fact that when we first moved in, Albert um, was like, I don't want to call this room, like, the living room. Let's let's call it something else. Um, and the clearing. The clearing. And we were like, what do we call it? The, the forest, the, the meadow, the grove. Um, so we landed on the grove for sort of our main living space. And then the meadow was the second living space. 
Because we live in Oregon and we have lost space. <laughs> <laughs> so then we started uh, naming all the other rooms in our house. So the kitchen became the swampy bog and our bedroom became the cave. And we kept building on each other's ideas. And I remember the point where it sort of clicked for me was also when it actually, when the like imaginary part of it actually helped, like made sense. So I was like in the bedroom yelling something to Albert and he was like, I can't hear you. I'm all the way in the swampy bog. <laughs> and I was like, oh, of course, I'm in the cave. There's a waterfall in the grove between us. I can't yell at Albert. <laughs> he can't hear me. Um, and so like something around, about that uh, reinforced it. And um, so we kept going and we named every room in the house. Um, and then we also started, and then the name started, um, influencing the spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Cause then the grove like grew mushrooms and then we turned one of our seats into a mushroom stool. <laughs> and then I was trying to figure out the form and how to put a zine library in the grove and it needed a form. It needed like, I was, I knew I was going to hang stuff on the wall, but I didn't know what it would look like. But since we were in the grove, it like... Mm -hmm. Just it turned into a tree. tree. It became a tree, <laughs> right? Um, and so that sort of snowballed. And I think the other important thing is that, like, me and Albert were able to validate each other's realities and, like, use those names, right, and keep using them. Mm -hmm. But then another layer that happened is that we invited people over and we would just say, here's the grove, and y'all also accepted it and, like, call it that, right? Um, and just like go with it. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so we had the grove and the meadow and the cave and the waterfall and we needed, um, a name for the house. And so we were trying to figure out like what would encompass all of that. So it would be a mountain. And we were in the Cascadia region and had that word flowing around from other, for other reasons. Um, so it became Mount Kaz. Yeah, later on we were working on a, um, a zine to send to some friends back uh, mm -hmm. back in the Bay Area after we left, and um, and we were thinking about. I think we were, we just kept thinking about how like if you know we're on a mountain and like with all these like natural spaces, you know, uh, as as the names, um, the narrative for this space seemed to make sense um, as like some kind of uh, national park like place that uh, and we were the rangers of this place and we're, we're you know anything that we're sending out from this place is uh, is some kind of newsletter from the rangers and. So I think that's where Dispatches, dispatches like yeah. the idea of a dispatch first came from, like, you know, this, uh, this far off place uh, where, uh, where, you know, we're uh, kind of isolated in, in a way, at least isolated from like the cities that, and, and the people that we knew from there. And we're, we're sending off our, our little missives um, and a dispatch seemed to match that well. And I think two other important things um, is that we do have a space at Mount Cause called Terra Incognita. So like on old maps, they used to put like, here be dragons and here's the like unknown lands. Mm -hmm. So Terra Incognita is where we host artists in residence and they can sort of, I don't know if this has come to fruition. In my head, it was always like, while they were there, they could tell us what that space was <laughs> and what the land was <laughs> and they could like um, change make it and change it yeah. mm -hmm. um, or, you know, um, and I think another important note is I think it is important to call ourselves caretakers 
mm-hmm. at Mount Kez and to recognize that we are on, you know, ancestral lands of Kalakuyu yeah, people and us. that we don't, yeah. this, you know, this land mm-hmm. doesn't belong to us. Um, and we are all just caretakers. So that's where our board game conversation was really interesting mm-hmm. because um, it was really important to think about the... Like, giving these things their names was what allowed us to... I don't know. How do you say it? <laughs> um, um, I think yeah. uh, what I remember you saying is that Mount Kaz is not just your home and you mm-hmm. you opened it up to um, a bunch of people all the time and for a bunch of different types of events that most people probably wouldn't think you could do in a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, gallery showings, concerts, improv games, mm-hmm. you know, all, all manner of, of events. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I remember you saying is that having the name be different allowed you to imagine that the room could be anything. Like calling it a living room makes you think that that's really all that it's good for. It's just a spot for you to hang out when you're not eating or sleeping, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and calling it the grove and calling it the meadow allows you to just kind of imagine what you can use that space for. And mm-hmm. it helped you guys to grow Mount Kaz as a creative community with the help of all of us, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have so. y'all heard of functional fixedness? <laughs> No, no, but I like that alliteration. <laughs> so it's so there's a psychology thought experiment, or actually they did an actual experiment, where they would give people a box of nails and a candle, and they would say, attach the candle to the wall and see what people came up with. So that was one set that they would do. And then the other set, they would give them um, a box a pile of nails and a candle. And the second set got it much quicker. Yeah. Like, how do you attach the candle to the wall? But the idea being that, like, uh, the context of how you receive uh, an object... Uh... No, I want them to get to figure out the puzzle. Oh, oh you oh, literally... Oh, these no, yeah, these two. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I've heard of this one before. Then, yeah. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I so, thought you were talking oh, about listeners. All right. So there's two groups of people. <laughs> yeah. They're both being tasked. Well, the, imagine you're given a box of nails and a candle. How would you attach the candle to the wall? I would nail it to the wall. You'd nail the candles to the wall? It would break, yeah. That would break the candle. Uh, um, let's see. You have to attach the candle to the wall. So mm-hmm. it cannot be sitting on a shelf on the wall? It could. <laughs> so I built a shelf out of nails. You built a shelf oh, out of nice. nails? <laughs> I'm assuming a candle is tiny. You put a bunch of nails on the bottom of it and just put the candle on top of it. The the other solution uh, when like the the more common solution that people would get when they and you're, not, you're that's a great answer yeah you're under, I, you're I, I imagine track. that their nails are really short yeah and, like, oh, that okay. wouldn't be possible but I, I don't know anyway the point is mm-hmm. that uh, the group that is given the box separate from the nails recognizes the box as a part of the tools so they nail the box to the wall and then they put the candle put inside the candle in. yeah. as opposed to the group that gets mm-hmm. the box as a container because that's the, nails. the functional fixedness of like the, uh, the function of the box is to mm-hmm. hold the nails mm-hmm. versus the box is separate and can be anything so that's when we name when we name a room a mm-hmm. dining room it becomes fixed in this is the yeah. space where you this is where I mean, it's so interesting because mm-hmm. you, you described the puzzle and yeah. i'm like a box and nails and a candle. Okay, yeah. I, I see the solution. <laughs> yeah. But then you said, imagine if you're given a box of nails. Box and I lost it. Like, <laughs> exactly. I had already come to that conclusion. Yeah. I was like, well, I obviously don't have a box anymore. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's fascinating. That, yeah. So when we name it the Grove, it just becomes a space. And we can fill the space with whatever we want. We can mm-hmm. rearrange the furniture in the space. We can take all the furniture out of the space. We can, like do whatever we want with that space. Mm-hmm. It becomes a space yeah. versus the fi- predefining it. 
Yeah, for me, like part like that. That's a lot of parkour mm. to me too. Is like this these experiences of like like kind of using my body in different function that allows me to treat objects and obstacles in the environment as different than what they're intended for. Like if you're always walking up and down stairs, you think of them as places where you put one foot after the other on the thing. But mm. if you are imagining yourself as a person who does more than walk, the person who jumps and rolls and climbs, then your function can expand to using the staircase in a different way too. That was kind of present in the way that we were talking about Mount Chasm when we first moved in, uh, was to make a space that was modular enough that mm. uh, that we can try to think of ourselves you know people uh the humans who enter into these spaces as having more function than uh than just eating in the dining room and sleeping in the in the bedroom but uh but you know playing in the cave and uh and exploring in the grove mm. Mm-hmm. And very deliberately always calling Mount Kez a renegade community art space mm-hmm. and we had um zinesters visiting from out of town and they were going to visit Mount Kez for the first time and I got this moment of nervousness because I was like I've only been describing this as like a community art space (laughs) with like concerts and dance performances and like what are they going to expect and then I like put in my text message it's also our house (laughs) like in parentheses (laughs) because I was like I wanted to like put their Mm -hmm. expectations back but I think that's part of like the way we talk about it opens it up because Mm -hmm. it's like we just deliberately never call it our home. How do you how do you think the Mount Kaz as a metaphor for your house and like you can do anything with your house bleeds into Mount Kaz as a creative community. Turn that back to y'all. How, do yeah. you, like, yeah. how did you like experience that or like come into it or feel yeah. about it? Um, I'm, I met you guys uh, at kind of the beginning mm-hmm. of you guys doing this, this experiment or process or whatever. And um, I went to a few events and I took Cameron and like I enjoyed almost all of them and like like I had a lot of fun but I would leave with Cameron and just be like oh my gosh I'm so tired I don't know how like I don't know how they do this all the time I'm just exhausted like I I need to go back to I need to go back to my life where I know what everything is and I think it's because I spent a lot of time in a completely different world with you guys and I think as soon as I just as soon as I learned the language Mm -hmm. for how you live your life I, it stopped being like a this w- different thing that I visited and just started being how I also incorporate into my own life. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's an exercise in thinking that way, which works for physical objects like rooms, but also works for community. Mm-hmm. Like you have a group of people and you're meeting and like maybe you've decided on the reason you're meeting, but it doesn't have to be that thing. Mm-hmm. And like what you can accomplish with each other is really infinite. And is limited only by how you how you contextualize it. Austin Klingon qu- tweeted. Uh, <laughs> <for the day. laughs> he tweeted every a, uh, uh, like a, a piece from the, from a list of rules for young artists or something, mm. and it was like form small gangs of like your your friends and give it a name, even a dumb one, and mm. protect each other and look out for each other and do things together. Mm. And I think that's like um, you know part of the power of like naming a community. You know, like sometimes. The names are inherent. You know, if you're a bowling team, like you're a bowling team, like you Mm -hmm. have that name. But if it's just a group of people, having a name gives you a reason to stick around. Just calling it something that only exists because you call it that, you know, just having a group of people that only exist together in that space when you are together and naming it that uh, over and over again uh, is enough of a ritual, I think, and a common practice to like 
be a part of the glue that keeps people together and uh, mm-hmm. and and helps them, you know, like be families together yeah. in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. How did you experience it? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind, then I'll like come back to that. Um, but yesterday, Dan, my partner, and I were talking, and he, you know, just about like sociability and like the kind of life that he wants to live, which he hasn't been able to do because of being yeah. in school, mm-hmm. um, in intense school. And so, and and something he brought up was this idea of like social inertia. That, like, it can be so hard. Like, sometimes just getting started in anything is so hard that once you stop, like, it's nothing new, right? Yeah. But it's like once you stop, there's so much kind of effort it takes to build up again yeah. to an activity or a habit or whatnot that, like, once you're going, it's fine. And I kind of think of naming Mount Kaz, Mount Kaz, for example, it's like, I don't know, there's something about that where every single time someone new comes over, you don't have to be like, oh, this is our house, and we call this the grove, and that the meadow, and we do art things here, but there's something about having a name in it, and like a short descriptor for what it is, and then art on the walls that describes each mm-hmm. room, that it's like an immediate map into, for people to come into your reality, if you will, mm-hmm. and for them to then accept that. And take that on if they decide to. And if they don't decide to, they'll probably not be <laughs> uh, necessarily coming back. Um, That's actually helped our inertia. Because we had a period where we were gone a lot and we weren't doing events. But it's been easy to slip back into mm. it because we have all these people who bought into Mount Kaz. Mm. And like, it's like, what's what's next? you know? So. And then my experience of it, um, I mean, I think it was... Uh, this has been a theme like in my life in general, and I feel like this is part of it, is thinking that things are disparate and separate, but actually they could become a whole, mm. right? Mm. Um, I mean, just personally, that is like my life's struggle in general. <laughs> but there's something about, like my experience of it was seeing that you could have a structure that is deemed a house, but then you can still invite in activities that are improv or that, yeah. like, as you said, mm-hmm. RNA, it can have infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said of what Christina said, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and it just made it feel like your house is kind of this, like, our kaleidoscope Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> like right? Where I you like can, that. like, twist it, and then suddenly it looks different. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. like, you know, you change the blocks, and then there's a different configuration going on. And mm-hmm. it was just so, it, it kind of made a home feel more alive mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I used to think of, oh, you know, there's like the work life. And then if you want to exercise, you have to do that in a gym. And then if you want to have fun with friends, you have to just go out somewhere. Like that was my early tw- well, early to mid 20s, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially that's in the, the Bay. That's the uh, image of society that we're being sold. Yeah. Essentially, mm-hmm. And I hate it. <laughs> it yeah. sucks. It sucks. And then I was like, oh, yeah. But if I can, you know, just seeing you two, since I also got to know you before you moved here, mm-hmm. Christina, and then after you moved here, mm-hmm. Albert, and just seeing how it kind of organically built from, oh, yeah, this is a place we live, to, well, let's just call it a thing. Yeah. And then let's just do some other, yeah. you know, random things. Well, and, and to Arne's question of, like, how it fueled the creative community, it's a lot harder to ask someone to come put on an event at our house. <laughs> yeah. But it's much easier to be like, do you want to do something at Mount Kaz? Mount Kaz is a space that you can use. Like, mm-hmm. what do you want to do at Mount Kaz? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the stuff we like figured out, you know, the, the the power of naming and like the effect of uh, of changing the spaces and stuff. A lot of it we figured out like after we did it. Mm-hmm. We were just 
we just started we just tried to play with yeah. the ideas of what spaces are for and how to use language and mm-hmm. um and manifest it into something that worked well I wanted to ask you, Aaron, uh, you said you were really excited about dispatches from Mount Kaz, mm-hmm. or you've become uh, uh, attached to it. What is uh, what is it about that name that is exciting for you? Um, the first part is that it fits in with the theme of Mount Kaz mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. You know, like you have this mountain theme and, and uh, this outdoorsy quality to your house, and you guys are rangers, and the dispatches is like a an outgoing missive mm-hmm. from that. And so I just feel like as a name, it's perfect. It just sounds right. Um, but uh, one of the uh, the other reasons that I'm so excited about it is what it evokes in me. And I think um, you and Brian uh, vocalized to this when we were discussing the name in that um, Dispatches from Mount Kaz feels... How did you put it? So Brian said uh, about Dispatches from Mount Kaz that he thinks about the tension between being on top of a mountain in harsh conditions and grassroots empowerment, mm-hmm. head in the clouds, feet on the ground type mm-hmm. of thing. Which, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as I heard that, I recognized. Because, I don't know, it, it's a very grounded name, but it evokes possibility in it. And then what did you say, Alicia? It feels adventurous and jaunty. Like, we're getting down <laughs> in the dirt and playing fun and DIY. So, you guys both vocalized how I, how I began to feel about it. So, I don't know. It just makes sense to me now. Any of our other names doesn't make <laughs> sense now. Like, I don't... Well, they all still make sense. But... Uh... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to go into that. <laughs> well, name changes is hard. Like, yeah. um, sure. we we can cut this out if we want, but the I've been part of this group called Nuns and Nuns, so N-U-N-S sisters and N-O-N-E-S millennials who check the box, none of the above, when asked if they are religious. Um and that was like the original name, and it was, it's catchy and alliterative, but it like doesn't actually capture who we are as a group because the sisters aren't technically nuns, and mm-hmm. like millennials don't really like to be called N O N E S S, and a lot of us actually are religious, but and then, so it's sort of like a weird like the name doesn't actually work, but all the all the um, suggested alternatives have not caught on. So there's been like sisters mm-hmm. and seekers, but every time we say that, the sisters like we're also seekers, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, monastics and millennials and then, <laughs> but like it's just like I actually really like Sisters and Seekers and mm-hmm. I wish we could switch to that but like once the name has been set it's really hard mm-hmm. to shift it um, mm-hmm. and I actually wanted to ask you about your naming stuff mm-hmm. if you want to talk about mm-hmm. it like your personal name oh yeah yeah and, like, oh my shifting gosh. stuff I'm still thinking about yeah. it yeah <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> so tell me oh, yeah. even though on well, whenever we did pause uh, whenever we did this other <laughs> How do we describe it? Like an artist? Our, our uh, art gang support group. There you go. Yes, exactly. I like. Sounds like I have an addiction. I know. Um, so, naming. I mean, well, we'll just see where this goes. How about? Mm-hmm. Um, I have all names have always been an issue for me. Um, partially because it's like I have two names. Like I grew up with Alicia Wong Seville, which was commonly just Alicia Seville, right, Mm. Um, in the English-speaking world. And that meant that in a lot of my classes growing up, like, the Wong was always left out um, until people would get to know me. Mm. And then I also grew up as Ching Ching, (laughs) as the name, as the Mandarin name that my grandfather gave me, Mm. right? And Mm. so, like, I don't know. It's so interesting how both different contexts and like literally different names have made me feel like different people. Mm. Um, and yeah. becoming an adult, especially in the last couple of years, as I think about the name, um, I'm like, well, I want to find a way to marry those two so that I don't constantly feel mm. like 
I'm sometimes this one person and other times this other person, depending on what my context is mm. and who I'm talking to. Mm. Like, I feel like I've only really gotten aware of that in the last like five years. So then I've been playing with my name. And also I did not like Alicia for the longest time. Mm. Um, I was Allie for a while just because like A-L-L-Y. And then there was I-E. And then I tried with an I. Like I tried (laughs) all these ways to make Alicia Mm. into a nickname that felt good. Um, And now, I don't know. There's like something about the energy of my name that feels like really soft and like rolling as Mm. opposed to like fun or I don't, you know, I I obviously think about this a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I still don't like my first name, Um, but I don't know what else it would be because I've been that for 31 years. Um, So anyway, that part's unresolved in terms of like professional naming. Um, I've known that I want to have Wong as a professional name whenever I put out a video or mm. writing anything um, for sure. But then it makes my name super long. So then I'm like, I don't know. Well, you're and I don't know if you want to talk about you and Dan combining mm-hmm. your names. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing. Um, I think first my decision to put Wong in the name came and then Dan and I decided that Sorry, Dan, but I really didn't want to be a Ferguson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we, so we've like been talking about names for probably four years now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But when we decided we were going to get married, like I didn't want to take his name and he didn't want to take my name, but we did want to have the same name. And so we have like a list of 30 names that we came up with. Yeah, all really weird. Like, we had Satin at some point (laughs) to be, like, Seville and Justin, because that's his Uh, middle name. mm -hmm. Um, What was the weirdest one? Um, I can't think of it, but it was really pompous and pretentious in French. But it sounded awesome. (laughs) Um, And we... We, like, did the, like, our friends, we would tell friends that we wanted to combine our names, and they would be like, how about Sagusin? Or, <laughs> I know, or, like, Fergville. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Someone to give us Funville, which sounds fun, but I will not actually be known as Funville. Oh. That would be, it would be like, Funville? I think that's pretty good. It has a ring to it, right? I feel like that'll end up being our house name, actually. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 I like that. Like, just Funville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... And yeah, but we were literally, I think it was um, maybe a couple months after we got married and we were walking in a, in the woods and I was like, we got to decide on this because we're kind of at the point where we just won't do it mm-hmm. or we'll pick something really stupid. Mm. <laughs> um, and some, and Sabson came up um, and it is a wonder to me why it took us three years to come up with that, <laughs> but it was simple and it feels good. And I think we both feel ownership over that name. So like, mm-hmm. it's funny in that, like that in terms of a surname actually feels really good and on point. Nice. But then when I think about a professional name or my first name mm. or how to bring in the, the Wong in mm-hmm. there, I'm like, ah. yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, I feel you yeah. on the first name thing. I've never had a nickname. Never? Well, there have been attempts. Mm. Not by me, but like <laughs> there have been attempts from other people. And uh, What do know. they try? Um, well, in high school, when we're, you're learning about DNA, you also learn about RNA. <laughs> people are like, oh, you just add an A on the end and you have RNA. And so I think for a while, like maybe weeks, some of my classmates tried to call me RNA. And I was like, no. But you weren't having it. Well, I, yeah. I'm like, that's, 
That's your name. That doesn't work. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, it's not really a nickname. It's It's just a joke, basically. In in a lot of, like, uh, uh, like, Broad communities. I heard about it first in a, from like my friends who went to who'd go to Burning Man a lot. Mm. Like you don't get to choose your own nickname. Mm, interesting. And I think this is probably true. Like generally, you know, mm-hmm. like if you're trying to like force your own name, nickname in or your own like kind <laughs> of uh, new way for people to call you, like it doesn't mm-hmm. work as well as like people kind of. Uh, uh, giving it to you and it becomes something that like i mean a lot like sometimes it's just a really shitty yeah. uh name if you're like a kid right? um but like in in communities where you where you take on a nickname because that is your identity within this certain group mm-hmm. like uh that is something that has to be that. allotted to you you mm-hmm. know it has to be a, a to be bestowed, upon bestowed yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would love to have a nickname but mm-hmm. it's a difficult <laughs> It's just like, what do you? Uh, I don't know. Arnie. No. Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, if you'd like to, I'm give so Arnie. I'm so mad that I told you the story. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be thinking about you. <laughs> yeah, but I feel you on that. Like, I have friends mm-hmm. from high school who still call me Allie, mm-hmm. and it feels really weird now because mm-hmm. I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> but that's how they know me. Or mm-hmm. like. Um, for some reason, Leash became a thing in college, and I think that's just become my <laughs> adult nickname, but, like... That's interesting. Yeah, either... Well, it's people from college, and then people f- I've known since I was, like, two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's, like, those two groups know me as that. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's less of an adult thing, too, because I've noticed that I haven't been... I think the tendency to, like, nickname or, like, give people names in small groups... Mm-hmm. was pretty rampant in like college and mm. early 20s but like now like we haven't given any, each other names you know like we don't we don't tend to um do that as much anymore well it's a playful thing yeah right? it's mm. and, and we aren't allowed to play with each other as adults unless yeah. it's a specific context yeah. like mm-hmm. you know romantic relationships people give each other pet names and mm-hmm. in like these um and these like burning man yeah burning man kind of like yeah. large communities or like, that becomes, communities yeah, yeah, you you choose to identify in the separate space, but if you aren't creating a, you know, a, a gang, <laughs> if you aren't creating, mm-hmm. like, a band, you know, mm-hmm. like, there aren't, uh, if everything is, if everything kind of, like, if you become, like, an isolated unit in the world, mm-hmm. um, then you want to have the proper identification, you know, <laughs> the barcode that, like, identifies you well, mm-hmm. and not uh, several aliases. That <laughs> it's too bad, though. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I sort of miss... Having like I haven't had a natural nickname mm-hmm. in a while, mm-hmm. even though my name's really easy to shorten. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did like the goblin name that I got. Oh yeah, what was the goblin what was name? The goblin? I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to go around. I can't remember mine. We could say our goblin name. I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember, oh, I remember mine. Oh, you remember yours? Um, I think it was Pono, right? Uh, it that sounds right. Phono. 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 <laughs> It was phonal. Yes. Phonal long steps. Yeah, right. <laughs> we did a we did a little um, goblin activity where we all learned to be goblins together and bring out our inner goblins by first giving each other um, goblin names and then practicing being our goblin characters. And this comes like this comes from uh, like LARP and improv kind of spaces mm-hmm. where you enter into temporary worlds with each other. Yeah, this is this is another place where like naming is really important, and um, and taking on new names so that you can become a new character mm-hmm. um, is a major part of this, of a of being able to try on a different version of yourself and mm-hmm. take on a different kind of function in the world. Yeah, yeah, and I love my goblin name 
uh, it's the first name that somebody else had decided for me that I really like identified with immediately. <laughs> um, was it you? Yeah, it was you. <laughs> and you, you, you said it was because of how I laugh when I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, like, guess sounds like a stupid name. Like if you just like tell somebody like, oh, I got a goblin name. It's get, and they're like. <laughs> that's great yeah. couldn't come up with any more syllables there. but it's okay like, because it's a goblin like, but it's a goblin like, the whole yeah, thing but, like, is, like, but they're like they don't, they don't get it it just yeah. sounds like a burp like, yeah. like I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why the name that's is but, but I love it because I know why it's there yeah. and I'm like yeah. I feel it makes yeah. me feel happy and it makes me feel that's how like I can be a happy person yeah that's how a lot of nicknames work too when people mm-hmm. bestow them to you right mm-hmm. like they give it to you based on like something that you did or something you are and something that like often relates to like the social history between mm-hmm. uh, the people who are giving it to you or it's like a mirror too that you didn't see yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. actually that's yeah what that's what we're gonna call you yeah okay yeah. hey good <laughs> well and i wonder if it's partially because then it's you feel like you have actually been seen by someone else yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt it made me feel so warm and fuzzy because <laughs> I think a lot of the time I look at myself as like a cynical, practical mm. person, mm. and like oh. you saw me as like a really right. bubbly, like happy person. Right, right. Pulling the part happy. that part of your yeah. yourself out mm. as like the uh, the identifier yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay, we can do this or we don't have to. But my question was like, you know, imagine everyone in our society either gives themselves a name or is like bestowed a name. I didn't actually write the bestow part, but I really like that mm-hmm. part of it. When they're an adult, whenever mm-hmm. that happens to happen, so like, what name yeah. would you choose for yourself? Oh, I mean, I have I have my adult uh, chosen name. I, it, it is it is Bork. It is Emily Bork. Mm. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Uh, someone in high school one time called me Al Bork. And I was like, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. That sounds good. Um, and I, pl- I played with various uh, uh, permutations of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bork is where I've settled. Mm-hmm. Would you like other people to call you Bork? Oh, people call me Bork. A ton of people call yeah. me Bork. Yeah. But would yeah. you like more people to call you? It's you up want to us you, to call really. you Bork? Like, I, 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 wouldn't, I won't mm-hmm. take Albert. Or, sorry, I won't take Owl or, uh, or different uh, nicknames on, on Albert. But, uh, but, but I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take Bork. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how I'd answer this question. Yeah, I think it's because I spent all my life with a, such a weird name and just like mm. sort of feeling stuck with it. Right. It's a weird because you would think that if you like have a really weird name that you would have entertained that idea. Well, if I could have named myself, what would I name right. myself? So it wouldn't be like so weird. Yeah, no. I spent I've like I spent all of my childhood telling teachers how to pronounce my right. name, mm. reminding people what my name is, um, and I still do that yeah. on a daily basis if I meet somebody, yeah. and it and it just turns into a my name's Arne, and they go, oh, I'll have trouble remember that. I'm like, that's fine, <laughs> I don't care. I will repeat it to you as many times as you want, because I'm not great with names either. So I don't really like I don't really fault people, mm. but I think I just maybe owned that part of my identity that like mm-hmm. I have a weird name and I have a story behind it. And if people want to hear the story, I'll be happy to tell you I've got it down under 10 minutes or whatever, you know, like I've, <laughs> I've done it so many times and it's just like my life now. Mm-hmm. It would feel weird having anything else. I thought about it a lot, but I don't know that I have any good ones. Hmm. Um, I miss more people have like calling me my Chinese name. Mm. Um, here's another anecdote that goes the opposite way is um once i went on a retreat with this woman who is what does she call herself um 
Anyway, I think she's like on the path to becoming a shaman. <laughs> but she did the opposite thing where in some of those spaces when she was like leading meditations or guiding us through things or facilitating spaces, she became she mm. and sort of like denamed. I don't know how to say it. Mm. You know, like where it was like she was conceiving of herself more as a, like a universal she or like as a not even that she was like she was a conduit for other messages or she was a conduit for messages and like whatever and a, and a guide and it and mm-hmm. she wasn't it wasn't uh, about her it was about she her was fo- taking the yeah. focus off of herself yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. makes me think of the weenus yeah <laughs> we'll say one one sentence like what the weenus is yeah. like tagline of it Right. The Venus is a game about becoming a hive mind through stages of language constraint and restriction with other people. Mm-hmm. Which is super interesting because I really like the game, but for some reason I don't like the term hive mind because it just mm-hmm. makes me think of like angry mobs. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all like it's hard to figure out the right language mm-hmm. to like to talk because that's about. That's not this what thing, it is. Because, you know. Yeah. But once you experience the we part of mm-hmm. Venus, you can also. For me, it like adds a different dimension to hive mind, mm-hmm. so it changes, morphs that word for me. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. We're, we're, like in in some ways, you know, after playing it, it makes uh, it. I don't know if it makes sense like before I played it, but to me now, when I think of like what we become, you know, mm-hmm. um, we become a family. Like that is what mm-hmm. happens when you all, when everyone who is playing decides that they are all there, present with each other, and caring about the well-being of the unit. You know, of the of the um, of the collective more than uh, more than the individual. Mm-hmm. Award-winning <laughs> game, Venus. <laughs> we'll link to the actual game and also your interview. <laughs> you know. All right. Okay, I think we ended the episode pointing yeah. them to another podcast. So <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap. Um, and so now we'll pose this question to you: What's a time you found language for something you previously didn't have before? You can email us at e- melkaz at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been listening to Dispatches from Mount Kaz, a radio zine recorded at Chateau Rev, produced by Mount Kaz Studios in Corvallis, Oregon. <laughs>